Welcome to the Capital City Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that your heart would be open to receive whatever God has for you today. Enjoy the message. Well, today um, we're going to be talking out of the book of John, uh, John chapter 6. And for those of you who don't know, uh, John is located in the New Testament. It's about the fourth book in. Um, so if you'll look through and just thumb through, we're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. Um, and we're going to start reading around verse 22 um, of John chapter 6. But first, I need to give you just a little bit of history at this point um, in, in, in this particular passage. The people who have been fed the day before, and for those of you who are familiar with Scripture, they're part of the 5,000 people that Jesus had just miraculously fed with five uh, loaves of bread and two fish. And uh, so Jesus does some teaching, and He sends His disciples in the boat. Um, they're going to be leaving shortly. He goes. Jesus goes off to pray. They get on, on the boat, and the storm picks up and um, and Jesus goes walking out on the water to where they are and they're terrified. And he says, don't be afraid, it's, it's me. And so he gets into the boat and immediately they are on the other side. Now, it's the next day where we're picking up and we begin reading here in verse 22 um, through 26. So let's just read that together. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that he had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, which simply just means teacher, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, um, you're here because I gave you food, he's saying. That's why you're here. Just FYI, I know why you're here. And he's saying, hey, in verse 20, 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. In other words, he's saying, don't labor for food that perishes. Don't, don't do this for burgers and fries, he's saying. Uh, now listen to their question, and it's a really interesting question, and, and frankly, it's indicative of humanity. Um, in verse 28, let's read that together. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Notice that language. It's a lot of doing and a lot of working. Um, what must we do to do the works of God? And get ready for one of the more frustrating answers from Jesus ever. Okay, so let's read in verse 29 together. It says, Jesus answered, the work of God is this. It's this, to believe in the one he has sent. They're like, wait, what? No, we need works. I mean, we need something to do. Uh, we don't understand. Uh, and he's like, this is the work of God that we trust, that we rely, that we believe. 
And most scholars believe that this is a transitional truth in the Word of God. One of the reasons that they feel that John chapter 6 is so long is because this is a moment of transitional truth. And what that simply means is this is where things go from external to internal. And they're thinking doing, they're thinking working. These people are thinking all these things to do outside. And Jesus introduces trusting. Now listen closely in verse 30, what he says. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? You see, that's weird because yesterday he fed them supernaturally. He gave them bread supernaturally. You see, the problem with signs is that you have one sign and you get one sign, but you need another. Now listen to Jesus in verse 31 and 32. He says, Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So He's saying, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. What is he saying? He is saying that the law did not give you supernatural bread. It, was, it wasn't law. It was love. You think it was Moses that, that gave you the 10 points of a to-do list. You think that's what's going on. You think that's what gave you the bread. But Moses didn't do that. That was love. Listen, he says in verse 32, But my father, but my father. So that he says, you want to talk about bread? Let's talk about bread. I I love to talk about bread. One of the reasons that I fed you bread was to point you to the true bread. So while we're talking about bread, let's talk about bread and let's talk about my father. My father is offering you true bread from heaven. In verses 33 and 34 say this, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who, who has given you this bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Lord, give us this bread continually, they said. He says, um, I'm giving you the bread. I am the bread of life. I love that. I love that. Um, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I mean, how about that promise? He who believes in me will never be hungry or thirsty? I mean, that's wild, right? And then verse 36 through 40, it says, it says this, But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I I shall lose none of all that He has given me, but raise them up on the last day. And verse 40 says this, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on that last day. This morning, I just want to talk to you from the subject of just tell me what to do. 
just tell me what to do. Um, you know, I'd like to work from, from the premise this morning that much of humanity is still right now approaching Jesus and still approaching the concept of Christianity um, with, with a mindset of, of just tell me what to do. Just, just give me some things to do and that, I, you know, that'll fix everything. Just tell me what to do. And I hear people ask me that all the time, Matt, I want to live for God. Just tell me what to do. What do I need to do? And I hope this morning that you discover that knowing Jesus and having a relationship is not so much of what to do as much of just relaxing and taking Jesus in and spending that time with him and having that relationship with him. And that is my prayer for you here this morning. Um, for those of you who have children right now and you've been in quarantine, God bless your soul. Um, I am right in that same boat with you. Corey is in the same boat with you. And um, man, it has been quite a challenge to do homeschool. And uh, just kind of kind of crazy, you know. Um, when we first started, I thought I was going to pull my hair out trying to do work and trying to do school from home and, and do all those kinds of things. But it's eventually worked out. But in the beginning part of the process, you know, teachers were emailing us every day with this list of things and that list of things. And um, it was getting hairy. And so I'd have to type back to them or, or email them back and say, hey, look, this is what's going on. Just tell me what to do. And uh, I don't do this on a normal basis. You do. Just tell me what to do. And um, I think we've all been in that boat over the past few weeks, at least. Similarly, the Jews have been used to, for thousands of years, just being told what to do. They're, they're used to their life being a to-do list. Their belief systems, you know, their existence has essentially been 10 things to do. So they approach Jesus and they don't know that he's going to do things differently. They approach Jesus after this miraculous feeding the next day. And he said, you've come to me because I filled your belly. But you shouldn't be in pursuit of me for something far more satisfying and significant and eternal. And they really don't understand that. So they just say, yeah, all that's great, Jesus. That's really good. But we kind of just sat around last night and, you know, we want to do like the works of God. So how do we do that? Yeah. Tell us how to do that. Give us steps. Give us keys. Give us supernatural life. Give us like the seven-step program. Heck, just throw in, it could be 21 for all we care. We're, we're all ears. We're listening. Just tell us what to do. What do we do? And this is interesting. Notice that their, their preferences, notice that they want signs, they want steps, um, and, and they just want keys, you know, to, to get things done. That's humanity. You know, I want steps and I want signs. You know, give me signs and give me steps to do. And Jesus frustrates this whole trend. And he goes, here's what you need to do. Here's the work. Trust. And he made it that simple. And in that simplicity, man, did things get turned upside down for these people. Well, well, what? I mean, well, then, I mean, how do we then prove it? They say, show us another sign. You know, like, you know, like you did, like God did for our fathers. They ate manna in the wilderness. They walked right into this dissertation, by the way. It was a perfect setup, like... Our forefathers ate man, it came down, they ate bread, it was a sign. So, like, we want you to do something like that, Jesus, is what they're asking him. So, you want to talk about bread, Jesus says? By the way, Moses, the law, the to-do list, didn't produce that bread. That was love. 
That was grace. That was mercy. And by the way, my Father has, hasn't sent you, has sent you the true bread, bread that if you partake in it, you will have everlasting life. And they were like, can we get some of that bread? And he's standing there saying, hello, I'm right here. And then he begins one of the longest recorded speeches of Jesus' life and his ministry. And it produced some 71 verses as Jesus begins to explain that I am the bread of life. The whole entire chapter of chapter 6 of John is set up to point to Jesus as the bread of life. In other words, what we want is signs and steps, but what God offers is a Savior. We want somewhere to go and we want something to do, but God gives us someone to trust. That can be slightly frustrating for some of us. Because, you know, people like books that sound like, here are five keys and five steps to success. And I'm not saying that's bad or that's wrong. I mean, by all means, if, if that's you, pick it up, buy it, you know. But, because to be honest with you, only seven steps, seven chapters, um, I'm in. If that's going to bring me success, I'd be in on that too. But when it comes to this point in Jesus' ministry, they're asking for what they're looking for. They're looking for steps. They're looking for points. They're looking for keys. And Jesus says, all you need to do is trust. Trust the one that God has sent. And that frustrates them. They're like, what? What does that even mean? We, this, this is so unfamiliar, they said. They, they said, really? Show us a sign. Because that's what you're saying just doesn't make sense to us. I mean, can you just do something cool like maybe pull a rabbit out of a hat or something? You know, like with the bread you just did? You know, like our fathers ate manna too. They're like frosted flakes all over the ground every morning. They're fresh and they're new. Like, they're great, you know? Do something great. This begins Jesus' explanation. This gets intense. I'm telling you, it's about to get really intense. He says, this is what Jesus says. Jesus said, okay, drink my blood. And they look around like, what? I mean, people that are on the front row start inching their way toward the second and the third row, you know, in the building. Because, yeah, I want you to eat my flesh. I mean, this thing is getting weird. So much so, people are leaving the meeting. They're like, oh, i got to get Johnny to his, um, his soccer practice. And I'll see you guys later, you know. I mean, Jesus gets very visual, very literal, and very clear. And this is that transitional truth we were talking about. What's the message here? What is Jesus trying to explain in plain English, Matt? Here's the transition. Here's the change. It's going from, Jesus is going from external things to do to internal, someone to trust. Jesus is essentially saying, you, your little to-do list has failed and all you're doing has gotten you nothing and all you're going has gotten you nowhere. So once again, you think you need something something to do, somewhere to go, have steps, have signs, need keys. But here's the work. And I ask, is it even work? But here's the work. Trust. Jesus, are you just messing with us right now? That's what they're thinking. Nope, yep, the work is to trust. It's to rely. It's to lean. It's to believe. Um, and they're like, Ugh. can we just talk about man again? Oh, yeah. Speaking of bread... Jesus says, let's talk about bread. Now listen, belief in God and God being bread is intrinsically connected because God, Jesus, for us right now is connecting the idea of us believing in and us digesting him. To believe in God is to actually internalize God. 
who indeed is the bread of life. Now, in this ancient culture, the metaphor of bread is far different than it would be for us today. Because, okay, let's just face it, we eat bread all the time. We eat bread in the car. I mean, we eat bread in the drive-thru, on planes and trains while we're walking and talking. I mean, it's everywhere we go. Um, But in this culture, there are no drive-thrus. This bread didn't have like hydrogenated oils in them to give them a a shelf life longer than your grandparents, okay? This is a different day. Bread spoiled very fast, and it took time to make, but it also took time to partake. Partaking of bread would have been a process. In other words, partaking in this bread in the ancient culture would have required resting, stopping, reclining, relaxing, And most of the people he is talking to, when they ate bread, it would have have been like an hour of eating and then like two hours of fellowship and reclining and relaxing. So when you hear bread of life, we're like, oh, yeah, that's great. Bread, you know, when they hear bread of life, which is who Jesus is speaking to, which is the point he's trying to make, which is what we have to understand. And to understand that we have to put ourselves in this ancient culture mindset Um, to get it today, which is the mindset of the Jews of that day to show you that what he is implying. And what he's implying is that to believe in Jesus is to recline, it's to rest, it's to yield, and it's to digest. It's to take him in, to enjoy him. They had been busy doing things for some 2,000 years, doing a to-do list. And here they are saying, okay, but What do we have to do? And he says, believe, trust. Do you see how it's going from external to internal? How passionate is Jesus about the internalization of him? This is not just a mental exercise, he's saying, but but that's our propensity as as humans. And even in times when we we come to church or, or we even hear a message online, when we say things like, I just wish we had a little more practical keys. Um... Listen, I'm all for practicality, but I wonder sometimes, have we become so practical in our to-do mindset that we have lost the mystery, the intrigue, and the romance in our relationship with God? Do you remember when you were romancing your spouse, you know, like before they were your spouse? Do you remember that intrigue? Do you remember the mystery of, like, do you like me? I mean, is this date going good? I mean... (laughs) I know this is only the second date, but I think, wow, like she's smiling. This this could be good. This is awesome. You know, like this is amazing. I mean, try to put clear cut practicality to steps to wooing a woman. Good luck with that. Okay. The moment you have seven steps to wooing every woman, you are in for a very rude awakening. I'm just going to say that. The more you know women, the less you know women. Right. And the longer you're married, the more deceived you become that you know women. Can I get an amen, men? Yeah. There has to be some element of that with our relationship with God. I mean, women are one thing, but God, the creator of the universe, who breathes and star formations take their place in the galaxy, there's a mystery for you. That's a mystery right there. I can't always give five successful steps to intimacy with creator God. I don't know. But I do know this. He just wants you to trust him, even if you don't understand him. I want you to recline in me, he says. I want you to rest in me, he says. You know, someone says, Matt, can you define trust for me? Can I just say that when you're trusting, you're trusting? 
Trusting is when you start to trust. I think we complicate it so much. I don't, I don't know. I, I know when I trust someone and I know when I don't trust someone. I don't know why I know. I just know. I just know I don't trust that person. Why? How do you know? Because I just feel like distrust. I don't trust them. Something's weird about them. Well, how do you know? Because I trust in my truster. Like, really, we need, do we need further explanation? I mean, come on, it's intuitive. This relationship with God, much of it's just intuitive. It's a gift from God. God puts trust in your truster for Him. And before you know it, you say, I just trust God. You say, well, divine faith. It's faith. What does it mean? It means to believe in God. It, it just means you believe in Him. I mean... I'm not trying to insult anyone here this morning, but again, there has got to be this element of just this simplicity of approaching God. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is the first I am that's recorded in the Gospel of John. I think it's significant because later he'll say, I am the light of the world. Later he's going to say, I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And he'll say, all of these I am's about himself, but the very first one is bread. Because he's communicating that when it comes to who I am, it begins with internalizing and digesting and feeding and receiving me. It all starts with bread. Now, I have two children. Um, well, let me say, Corey had the children, and we have them together. How <laughs> about that? Um, and speaking of intuitive, speaking of just somehow humans knowing how to eat bread, it's interesting. If you've ever watched your little babies, before they can talk, before they can walk, um, before their little brain is pretty much even functioning, they come out and they, they can barely hold their head up, but you put them in some strapped-down chair and you put Cheerios or, or pieces of bread in front of them, and they're just they reach out and they're just like... You know, their little hands are trying to coordinate to find the bread wherever it's going to be. You know, and, and once they finally get it, I mean, it may take like 35 minutes to get it there. But eventually, they're trying to get that bread or that Cheerio to their mouth, right? But do you know what's amazing? I never taught any of my kids, I never taught them is how to eat bread. This is right. Here, don't, don't, put it in your, don't put it in your eyeball. Don't take the bread and put it in your ear. They figured it out. It's not working. It's not working, right? Isn't that amazing? It's just intuitive for them. Some of you have kids, it's just intuitive that they have just put that, put that bread or that Cheerio right into their mouths, right? And I just wonder sometimes, you know, how, how, how much more can we complicate things? It's not complicated. Jesus in Mark chapter 7 he meets this Greek woman whose daughter is demon-possessed, totally demonized. And Jesus is there primarily first and foremost for the Jews as the Messiah. And she comes up to this place and she pleads with Jesus and says, Please, I need you to come and heal my daughter. And look what Jesus says to her. He says, Let the children be filled first. In other words, let the Jews eat first. I'm here for the Jews first. Listen closely. For it's not good. Don't get lost in the rebuke that he has for this woman. It seems a little bit odd. Um, it's just a message of the Jews and the Gentiles. And we don't have time to go into all of that right now. But he says it like, like this. He says, it's not good to take 
the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Did you just hear that? Jesus called his message and his ministry children's bread and just called the gospel children's bread. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Now, fast forward with me as we go to um, Mark chapter 10. And this is where Jesus comes in and, and Jesus is preparing to lay hands on, on the little children and bless the children, right? And the disciples try to shoo them away. And Jesus gets very displeased. He's, he's not happy. And rarely will you find that in the ministry and life of Jesus. But he's intensely displeased. And he says, no, no, let the children come to me. Don't forbid them for such is the kingdom of heaven. And listen to his next words. Assuredly, I tell you this. Make no doubt about it, he says. This is a sure thing. Whatever I tell you is the truth. Whoever does not receive me, the kingdom of God, as a little child, you won't get it. You're not going to get it unless you receive. They can't even, these little babies that we were talking about earlier, they can't even, you know, they can't even talk, right? These babies that we had at that point, they can't even talk. But when it comes to when you're putting in bread in front of them, intuitively, they're wired to put nourishment here. Don't you know that all of creation was wired to put Creator God right here? Take Him in here so that He goes here? You're wired for this. Don't you understand that there is something on the inside of you that's reaching out to what's on the inside of Him and it's just intuitive? Don't complicate it. Don't overthink it. Just partake of the bread. Just digest Jesus. Receive Jesus. That's where the power is. That's where the maturity is. That's where growth is. That's where development is. That's the irony of Christianity. And that's the paradox. To grow, you have to go back and become as a child. You know how you, know how you mature in God's kingdom, in the kingdom realm, God's realm? You have to think again, not childish, but childlike. You go back to the simple place where that intuitive trust lies and you simply receive him and accept him. You just believe his words and you're assured that you are who you are by the grace of God. And you're assured that you're a part of his family. You're assured that he just loves you. It's just in there somewhere. It's intuitive. And you're simply just to partake of him. All of a sudden, you say, I can do that, right? All of a sudden, because it's just hardwired here. Yeah, you can. You're wired for it. You see, I believe that every human being is pre-wired with a place in their heart, in the core of who they are for God, Creator. Just like you, we're wired to put Cheerios in here, right? You did it before you could walk. You did it before you could talk or... Just nature took over. It was just intuitive, right? Just follow me for a moment as I, as I end right here. I believe many of us, we think um, information results in maturation. But that's not always the case in God's kingdom. 1 Corinthians 13 says that when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. So much to say there. Um, <laughs> It's unbelievable. But Paul writes to the church of Corinth. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. Bear with me here. I understood like a child. Yeah, just tell me what to do, right? What is Paul? 
What is Paul, what is he trying to say in, in his referencing of his days when he, he trusted his own expertise and, um, and he, was his, he was leaning on his own understanding and this amount of information he had about the Torah. Man, he's, you're talking about Paul, he's a pretty intelligent guy. He said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. He's not talking about infancy. He's not talking about physical childhood. He's talking about spiritual childhood. He's talking about pre-Jesus and pre-gospel and pre-internalization. He's saying, when I was a child, I thought like a child. Just tell me what to do, is what he's saying. I thought like that. That's the way I reason. That's the way I approach God. It was a to-do list. I wanted steps, he said. I wanted signs. I wanted stuff to do, places to go. And that's how I thought. That's how I processed. But when I became a man, I put away childish thinking. Law mentality, he said. I put it away. I put away works mentality, deeds mentality, doing mentality. And now he is speaking of maturity. But what is he referencing in becoming? He's becoming a child again. That's how you mature. What is he saying? I became a man when I took the children's bread. I became a man when I became like a child, when I received him, when I received his imputed righteousness, when I, I, I believed his grace of acceptance, when I just intuitively, re, intuitively reached out and received him and internalized him. Now I'm a man. Now I will grow. Now I will flourish and now I will thrive because I have learned to do the work of God, which is... What, what, there, what else is there to do? This is the one. Listen, Paul was one of the brightest minds of the Old Testament history. And he says, all of my studies has led me to this. I was a child, but now I'm a man. My passion for me is I want to be mature. I want, I want to know Jesus. I want to be nearer to Jesus. I want to look more like him. I want to think like him. I love humanity. I want to love him, but I want to love humanity like him. I want to love this city like he loves his city. But it won't happen just going from place to place saying, God, just tell me what to do. Okay, want me to tell you what to do, he's saying? Just trust me. Just know me. Don't you understand this life is not so much about places to go and things to do as much as it's about who to know and he wants to know he wants you to know Him. And all of life will flow from that place. And I pray that for you. I pray that we just put away our just tell me what to do mentality. I pray we can put that away and we just learn who to trust and let life flow from the simplicity of, of this, that intuitive, romantic, mysterious place of authentic relationship with God. Isn't that amazing? He is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. And today you may be watching and you may be saying, Matt, I, I've never trusted God with this relationship, with even having a relationship with Him. I don't even know what that means, um, taking this bread in. But I want Jesus, I want to, I want to attempt this. I want to go after this. Listen, don't overcomplicate it. This morning, if you say, hey, I want this relationship. I want to take this bread and I want to take Jesus and I want to, Stop doing this list of to-do. And I just want to relax and trust that He's got my life and He's going to lead me and guide me. I want to take Jesus in. If that's you, I want you just to pray this simple prayer with me. Say, Father, 
right now in Jesus' name. I ask that you would come into my heart, come into my life. I take you in right now in this moment. I receive you. And I receive your precious blood that you shed on Calvary for me. Wash me in that precious blood. Make me new and make me whole. Take my sin, take my shame, and walk with me and live with me forever. In Jesus' name. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, I want you to know you just took Jesus in. You just took the list of things to do and you just kind of shoved them off way over there somewhere. Hopefully you threw them away and just said, I'm going to trust Jesus with my life. That's what I'm going to do. And now, if you will, I just want to pray for everyone else this morning before we go into a time of worship. Jesus, we love you so, so very much. We love you because you first loved us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for being so patient with us. We have our good days and our bad days. You know this, but we thank you for sticking it out with us for the long haul. And we come to you so many times with just tell us what to do. Today, I pray that we put that aside. And this whole time that we've been trying to get, you've been trying to get us to understand, you just want us to trust you first and foremost. Help us, Holy Spirit, in this moment. I'm calling on the Holy Spirit right now in this moment, and I'm asking for your assistance in the here, in the now, not 10 minutes from now, right now, right now. I pray that your people would sense your nearness, sense your presence, sense your assistance, and let the power of the Holy Spirit help us partake of the bread of life and internalize Him and digest Him, trust Him, relax, recline in Him. And I thank you that we are who we are by the grace of God. And I declare this over your people in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today on our podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to see that God is moving in your life. We ask that you would please subscribe and share this message with a friend. You can also support this ministry and help us continue to reach the world for Jesus Christ by going to capitalcitycog.org slash give. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. God bless.